Father, thank you that we can worship you. Jesus, thank you for how beautiful your name is. Come and be with us in this tent. In your name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats if you'd like to, or take your bench, I suppose. Um, I'd love to welcome two very special people. First up, our first speaker for the weekend, Mrs. Rachel Gardner. And Rachel... Rachel is, I'll forget all of the things Rachel is and does, but she's a director of Youthscape. She's a speaker, an author, and she's been around Summer Madness for many years since I was a teenager. That wasn't that long ago, though. And also, she was also with me when I first had Thai food, so there's a fun fact. Yeah, up Thai food, I don't know. Um, I've also got Henry with me. Henry, where are you from? Dublin. I'm from Dublin. You're from Dublin. What youth group are you from? KOTG Youth Group. Very rowdy youth group. Henry's going to pray for Rachel, and then Rachel's going to speak to us. Dear God, thank you for Summer Madness 2023. Mm-hmm. We thank you for the facilities the monastery has given us, for our tents and whatever way we're sleeping, for the food we have, for the facilities, and for the activities we have to come throughout the week. And we pray for the speakers uh, and we pray for the band and the worship and the music and we pray that we all have a good week and we're all safe and leave here knowing that we had a good time amen amen thank you henry thank you so much oh it is very very good to be with you all the way. I used to live in London. I now live in Blackburn, near Manchester. Does anybody, has anyone been to Manchester? Ooh, anyone been to Blackburn? Oh, oh, some people. Oh, brilliant. So I'm Rachel, and I am a huge fan of Summer Madness and a huge fan of all that God does in weeks like this. Um, I'm a mummy of two little kids, two adopted kids. I think last time I was here, we hadn't yet adopted our son, Thomas. And there's a very cute photo of Thomas coming off on the screen. And um, we recently moved to a very deprived housing. I said, look at it, it was so cute. He's raiding my lipstick. I actually have a lipstick in my pocket here. (laughs) I have a puppy as well. So I have poo bags in one pocket and lipstick in the other. We recently, as a family, moved onto a really deprived housing estate in the north of England, in Blackburn. And it's one of these housing estates where lots of people, there's loads of issues around poverty and drugs and alcoholism. And uh, one day I had Thomas in the back of the car with me and I had to run some little errands across the estate. So I completely forgot that he was in the back of the car. So as we were driving along, I began to pray for our housing estate. I don't know if anyone else is like this. I began to get like really, really contending for this area, like really going for it. I completely forgot that Thomas was there. So as we were driving around the estate, I was praying for number 73 because I know that number 73 is a crack house. Now, in where I come from, Crack is not having fun. Like I stood here and like, a Benedictine monk told you to enjoy the crack. 
I'm like, what's going on? So where I come from, it's an illegal class A drug. So I was praying about the crack den. I was praying about the brothel. I was praying about the people that suffer from poverty and in slavery and domestic violence. And I was really going for it. As we were driving around the estate, I completely forgotten that Thomas was in the back. And I was going for it and going for it and going for it. And then I took a breath. <gasps> And as I took a breath, this little voice in the back of the car said, and thank you for my food. Amen. (laughs) Which was the sweetest thing in the middle of his mummy, like praying crazy prayers. This cute little prayer, thanking God for his food. This is the same little toddler that for many weeks I couldn't prize out of his hand this little 2p coin. And he would go up to people on the street and say, do you want to see a stinky coin? And he'd open his hand and he'd show people his treasure. And as far as Thomas was concerned, this little stinky coin was like the greatest treasure on earth. Even though we might grow up And even though there are people around the world with loads more money and and adults, it doesn't mean that we are necessarily more able to understand the value of what we have. I was recently looking and uh, thinking about if I was to win the Euro Millions, if you were to win the Euro Millions, what would you do with it? And I googled like some of the weirdest things that people have spent their Euro millions on. And I found that there was somebody who had basically uh, dug up the whole of his back garden and bought a bit more land and created this enormous road so that he could drive his car really, really fast. That's what he did with his Euro millions. Somebody else, a woman who won millions of pounds, gave all her family the choice of either free knee replacements or facial plastic surgery, (laughs) like for the whole family. And there was another guy, what he did with his millions was he decided to buy up land in outer space. That's what he did with his millions, bought up land in outer space. I wonder what you would do if you suddenly had millions of pounds. Well, the story that I want us to dig into tonight at the start of Summer Madness, at the start of this life-changing week for you, is a story that centers around a young man who is longing for access to that kind of dollar, longing for wealth unimaginable, longing for the independence and the power that comes from just not worrying about whether you've got enough money. So if you've got your Bibles, I would love you to turn to Luke chapter 15, switch it on your phone, or if you've got a Bible and the words are going to come up on the screen. Some of you might know this story really well. But just let these words wash over you because I think there's something in here that is really significant for you at the beginning of this incredible week. So this is Luke chapter 15 and it's Jesus telling this story. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. 
And there, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. And after he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. And he was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give them any. And that brought him to his senses. And he said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against God. I have sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. So he got right up and he went home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. What a reckless son. A reckless son to ask, to dare to ask in in Middle Eastern culture, to dare to ask for your inheritance before your parents are dead. Like you could be disinherited, you could be disowned. Like it's a reckless request to ask for money before you're in line to receive it. And he's reckless, isn't he, with how he spends his money. He wastes it, like he throws it around. He spends it like completely recklessly. And then, in many ways, he's reckless about how he decides to resolve the situation. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I read a particularly genuine motive in his heart. I wonder if there's a bit of survival instinct in there. You know, it's while he's looking at the slops that the pigs eat that he's like, you know, even the worst people in my father's house get treated way better than this. You know, if I go home and I start this big speech, at least maybe I'll get three meals a day. He's quite reckless in how he goes home. And he also doesn't know how his dad might react to him when he finds out how he's spent his money. He's a reckless son with what he's been given. But did you also notice there's someone else that's reckless in this story too? There's a reckless son, but there's also a reckless father. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I am, if I had a million pounds, there is absolutely no way that I would just give my kids a million pounds if they asked for me. And like, we're led to believe that the, that the father in this story is this sage, wise, Middle Eastern father that doesn't do anything rushed. Like, what does he think will happen if he gives his son on a whim all of this money? Like, what? Honestly, what do you think he thinks is going to end up happening? There's a few really interesting stories at the moment in culture about very wealthy parents who are refusing to pass their money on to their kids. So Simon Cowell famously said, I don't believe with just passing on wealth to the next generation. I want my kids to earn their money. Elton John, Daniel Craig, Mila Kunis, Bill Gates, George Lucas, all of them like, are refusing to leave their biological kids a single penny. And Jackie Chan said this. He said about his son, if my son is capable, then he can make his own money. And if he's not capable, then I'm not going to let him waste my money. So why is it that in this story... The father passes on to his son extraordinary wealth with no idea what's going to happen to it. But the father is also reckless in another way too. He is reckless in how he responds to the son once the son comes back. With heart pounding, he stood there at the gate, watching for his son. And when his son comes home and begins this speech about, I've done this and I've sinned against you and we're not sure about his motives and maybe they're pure and maybe it's a bit survival instinct. The father's like, you're home. You're home. And he picks up the, the um, cloak that he's wearing and he runs to his son, something a Middle Eastern father would never do, never runs. He's got too much status for that. He's reckless in his love. He's reckless in his forgiveness. And he throws a huge party. And I don't know if you've clocked this. Like, not once does the father in the story that Jesus tells, not once does the father say to the son, you're being a bit of a plonker. Not once does he say, come on, lad, what's going on? Not once does he tell him off, not even quietly, not even on the side. Like he gives him more stuff. <laughs> he like, he's more generous. He forgives and he does more. Like what on earth is Jesus telling us this story for? What is it that he wants us to understand? Why does he tell us a story about a reckless kid and a reckless dad. Well, it's, it's like all well, you scientists out there. It's like a microcosm of what God does with his creation. Like he gives us the most extraordinary resources. And he gives us free will. And he says to us, I kind of know you're going to make mistakes. And, and if you mess up, and if it all goes horribly wrong... And if you make mistakes and you're reckless and it's wasteful, do you know what? I'll make amends. I'll put it right between us. That's why this is a gospel story. Jesus is saying, like, you need to understand something. No matter how much you mess up, 
No matter how wasteful you are with what God gives you, no matter how far you travel down this road away from God, no matter how much of a mess you make of your life, God will make amends. God will put it right with you. God loves you that much that he loves you this recklessly. On the plane stay, I was coming, flying from Manchester to Belfast. And we taxied down this little, it was a tiny little plane. I'm not great at flying. I get a bit like, oh, it's a small plane. And we're going to take this small plane up into the air. And I get a bit freaked out about it. So I get very, very chatty with the person next to me. Are you like that? Some people go very quiet when they're anxious. When I'm anxious, I get really like, come on. Let's become best friends. Let's chat. So this poor person next to me had not slept for about 17 hours. He lived in New York. He's a like a marketing executive for a makeup company. I was like, oh, hello. Uh, and we had a really good chat. And, um, and he told me that he's grown up within a Hindu family. But three weeks ago in New York, where he now lives, he started attending a church. And he does a, he said, I've joined this course. It begins with an A. Um, something about exploring Christianity. Oh, yeah, yeah, Alpha. So it's his first experience of looking into who Jesus is. And I said, finally, you should say that. I'm going to a Christian event for this week. And he said, are you? What are you doing then? I said, well, I'm kind of, I, th- I thought, I won't say preach. You won't understand that. I said, I'm kind of doing these TED Talks. I'm doing TED Talks to people. And he said, oh, what's your first TED Talk about? And I said, it's a story that Jesus tells about a prodigal son. And he's like, oh, that sounds interesting. Could you tell me the story? So on the flight, in this tiny little Aer Lingus plane, because it's so noisy, I was having to shout really loudly at him the story of the prodigal son. There was once a son! Who were you? I had to really shout at him this story. And I finished the story, and he said to me, so what's that story about then? And actually, I was getting pretty emotional at this point. With tears in my eyes, I said, this story is about how much God loves you. And I look at you, and I know nothing about your life. But I wonder if you know how much God loves you. I think many of you have grown up within church, maybe, or gone to a a Christian school or a Church of Ireland school, or maybe you've kind of orbited Christianity for a while. And, And maybe tonight is a night where for the first time or for the hundredth time, being reminded that God loves you is exactly what your heart needs to hear. No ifs, no buts. God loves you with a reckless, generous love. The interesting thing in this story is that we don't really know what happens next in the story. Like, does the younger son behave himself? (laughs) Or does he mess up again and the father has to go through all of this again? The older brother that gets really cross that the younger son is getting all this attention and all this love. Does he join the party? Does he get on board with this? 
We don't know what happens next. We don't know if experiencing this reckless love of the Father changes the Son. We don't know that. Except, in a way, we do, don't we? Because you and I have the same invitation from the Father. The invitation to come and to be loved like nobody else will ever love you. The invitation to come home, not to religion, not come home to doctrine, not come home to spiritual practices, to come home to love, to being loved by the God who defines love. I grew up within a Christian family, and I knew God loved me like I knew A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I learned that I was loved like I learned my times tables. And I had good people in my life that demonstrated to me what God's love looked like. But when I got to 16, 17, I got so restless in my heart. Because I couldn't work out how God could be a God of love and yet a really good friend of mine was sexually assaulted on holiday. And God could be a God of love and a really good friend of mine died in a car crash when he just passed his driving license. And I couldn't work out how God still loved me when actually I was feeling messed up and broken. And I was developing things in my life, thought patterns and behaviors and addictive responses and stuff that I couldn't deal with. I didn't know how to deal with these thoughts and these urges and these feelings. I didn't know how to make sense of the world. I didn't know how to handle stuff about evil and pain and suffering, not just out there, but also in me, my selfishness, my brokenness. And I found that I got very, very good at hiding myself away from God's love. Like I knew that God loved everybody else. I kind of knew that, but I didn't. I was like Teflon. God's love just kind of fell off me. I kind of would like sneak my way out and I'd be like, I know God loves me, but he doesn't really love me. And I noticed looking back that I got too easily satisfied with stuff that couldn't really love me. I got too easily satisfied with finding power in looking into a bit of Wicca and Gaia, in looking into other world religions. I got really good at finding my confidence in what people said about me and finding a few of my skills. All all that was good stuff. But I was too easily pleased with stuff that ultimately could not feed me the love that I was craving. I wonder if any of you resonate with that as well. A few years ago, the organization that I work for, Youthscape, we did a little bit of research among young people aged 16, 17, 18, who in our part of the world don't go to church at all, know nothing about Christianity. And we tried to think, what is it that might attract them to the Jesus that we've met? to the God that we know revealed through scripture and through God's Holy Spirit. Like what what might attract somebody that knows nothing about God or Jesus and yet maybe is asking these questions that I was asking? 
And what we discovered with like big conversations and bits of research is that on the whole, these young people were loving the idea that God loves them. Like who doesn't love that idea? That there's a God out there, this nameless, faceless force that loves them. Like that's great, isn't it? But what they found really ooky, like weirded out, freaked out by, was that this God who loves them might actually want to come close enough to change them, to change them with his love. They loved the love that was out there. They didn't like the idea of a love that comes really close, a God that really knows them and loves them anyway, a God that loves them so much he doesn't want to leave them in the pain and the brokenness that they're in. And that was my journey That was my journey as a teenager, realizing that God doesn't love me from afar. He loves me up close. And for me, it took crisis. It took my world being shaken. It took the ground under my feet trembling for me to work out what am I going to base my life on? What am I going to put my hope in? What am I going to dare to believe loves me? What power am I going to throw myself at the mercy of? When I uh, was waiting to leave uh, Manchester Airport, I got there really early and I went and sat having a coffee at the arrivals lounge and I watched like all these people. Have you ever seen that? You watch people arrive being welcomed by their family and I got really, like at seven in the morning, I was getting really emotional. Like, oh, there's another one. There's, there's like a parent hugging their child or there was like a really long, slightly inappropriate snog happening. Like, yeah, it was just, just amazing watching life happen. But I sat there thinking, thinking about talking to you tonight and I sat there thinking this terminal two at Manchester is nobody's home nobody lives here no one thinks I know what today my destination is terminal two at Manchester airport like when they embraced their loved ones they weren't saying this place here this is where I'll be forever no they were saying your love is my home Like their expression on their faces when they hugged their loved ones was like this expression of peace, of comfort, of I'm home, I'm loved, I'm with the person that loves me most. And that's the invitation for you tonight at the start of summer madness. At the end of this week, you will leave this glorious campsite. I'm so glad that Henry thanked God for the facilities. I'm not sure that the Portaloos are something I particularly want to thank Jesus for, but I think it's very good, Henry, that you've encouraged us to thank God for everything. Like, you will go home to your bed, to your toilet that flushes properly. You will leave this place. But the God who meets you here tonight, he is your home. So wherever you are, when you come to him, you are home. You are loved like nobody else. And this week, some of you are going to sense a call on your life like never before. Like there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens for you. Some of you can have prophetic words spoken over you or for somebody else. Some of you are going to experience physical healing, healing from distress Healing around things that make you feel so anxious. Some of you are going to fall in love for the first time. 
Some of you are going to fall out of friendship and find ways to resolve that and deal with stuff. Like you're under this big, glorious heaven. You've not got the distractions of life. It is you, your mates, and God. Like stuff is going to go down this week. Incredible things, if you let it, will happen this week. Jesus is going to invite you into adventures that you can only dare dream about. But the starting point of all of this is that tonight you come home to love. Tonight you say, I am loved by you, Father God. Will you pour your love into my heart like I have never experienced? Because I'm up for this journey. I'm up for the change, whatever that looks like. I'm up for the calling. I'm up for the adventure. I'm up for the sacrifice. I'm up for the obedience. But right now, I want to start by reminding my heart and my mind and my body and my soul that I'm loved. It took me years to get there. Years of thinking I had to sort myself out before God would love me. (laughs) Years of thinking I had to prove something to myself or to my youth leader or to God or whatever before I realized that I, Rachel, am loved in my frailty in my weakness, in my pain, in my hope, in my joys, in my sadness, when I mess up, when I'm glorious, I am loved. I am loved. And there is no more stable source of my identity than the love of God. And that is what I would love you in your own way tonight to respond to. I wonder the worship band could come and join me. And we're going to wait on God just to speak to us, (laughs) just to come close to us. And the beautiful thing about being loved by God is that he knows us. He knows how we're made. He doesn't do anything weird that shocks us or, you know, hurts us. He doesn't control us. He doesn't manipulate us. He invites us to encounter even more than we have before, this deep well of love that he has for us.